All right, if we can start making our way back to our seats. Everybody start making your way back. And if you've got your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 14. We're continuing our study in the Gospel of Luke. So I'm going to have Trent come up and read Luke chapter 14, verses 7 through 24. Okay. We'll be reading from the 14th chapter of Luke, the 7th verse through the 27th verse, um, which reads, Now he, Jesus, told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose their places of honor, saying to them, When you were invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit at the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit at the lowest place so that when your host comes, you may say, or he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and repay you. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. And you will, and you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A a man once gave a banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent for his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please excuse me. And the other said, I have bought five oxen of yoke. And I, or I have, sorry, I have bought a yoke of five oxen. And I have to go examine them. Please have me excused. And the other said, I've married a wife. 
and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became very angry, and he said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and, and, the, and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who are invited shall taste my banquet. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned to them and said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Trent, I like your inflection on the, the different voices. Like it makes when you when I hear it, I go, wait a minute, I should have added a certain nuance to this thing in certain places. So um, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, again, we thank you for this time. We thank you for a chance to, to worship together, God. We, as we open your word, um, God, we ask that you would speak to it. God, we, we trust and believe that all throughout this day, um, across our county, uh, that you have been speaking to your people through your word, um, by the power of the spirit. God, we, we trust that you have been, um, calling and, um, encouraging and convicting, um, God, that you've been giving wisdom and peace and guidance to your people this day. Uh, we pray that um, you would do the same for us as we come to your word. Um, God, we continue to pray for revival in our community. We pray that you would, um, God, that you would go before us uh, and and prepare the soil um, for the seed of the gospel that is planted. We pray that that we would be the instruments of that seed being planted, and that um, as as we um, in our various opportunities and roles as we plant and as we as we water. God, we pray that you would give the growth and that you would bring a, a harvest in Blount County and that we would see people's lives change and that they would come to know your son, Jesus Christ. Um, God, these are all things that can only be done through the power of your spirit, uh, working through your word, uh, and we ask uh, that you would continue to do that and do that even now in this service. We thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. Okay, so um, so if you were here last week, we kind of attached verses 1 through 6 to the previous chapter. And so we were making a connection there between the fact that Jesus had just talked essentially on that subject only um, a few uh, passages before, and yet the people still are uh, not getting it, right? Um, they are still um, rejecting it. And so there's, there is a connection backwards with this passage, but, but honestly, the, the passage we read today, starting in verse 7, is more naturally connected with that verses 1 through 6. And the reason is it says, uh, One Sabbath when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. It's in the context of that dinner that he teaches all these things that we're going to read about tonight and, and, and look into. And so, um, again, we, we looked last week about this idea of, of people, the scribes and the Pharisees, being unwilling to repent in general, unwilling to admit wrongdoing, unwilling, unwilling to 
turn to God for forgiveness. And Jesus is aware of their hearts, right? He's aware of what's going on on the inside. Um, and the reality is, is this, and we always have to remember this, that Jesus is primarily concerned with our hearts. Jesus is, is, is concerned that, that our faith and our righteousness and everything would be working from the inside out, not just working on a surface level. And so Jesus in this, in this situation is speaking to that very issue of the hardness of heart, the situation of the hearts of, of the Pharisees, their pride, right? Or, or their lack of humility, whichever way you want to frame it. And these two parables and then kind of this one teaching at the end of this section all tie into that kind of idea. And so, so in the first section, this first story that Jesus tells, um, this, this first teaching and parable is I want you to think about the idea of something like, um, an idea of a pride of position, um, pride in the position that you have in a community. You could even talk about it in terms of an idea of self-importance, okay? Thinking that you are um, more significant than, than those around you. So we start out in verse 7. He says, now he began telling a parable to the invited guests when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table and then saying to them. So again, back in verse one, it told us that the Pharisees were watching Jesus, right? Watching to see what he would do when it came to the man that was going to be healed on the Sabbath. Well, now the tables are turned. Jesus is now watching them carefully, watching how they act, watching how they respond to the situation. And it's interesting what he sees. He sees this dance for position going on around the table. People jockeying to get the best seats and, and, and trying to, to find ways to get the best seats at the table. And so what's going on here is something that probably we're all familiar with. It still happens in, in society today, certainly, um, because pride of position or self-importance is still a thing as much as it's always been. You, you may or may not run in some of those circles. Um, in your own spheres of influence, professionally or personally or socially. But, but we're all aware of, of the fact that, you know, in, in certain situations, there are better seats, right? There's better things to be a part of, better groups to be connected to, um, uh, ways uh, of knowing people and being connected to things that will increase our standing socially or increase our likelihood of, of promotion at work or, or all these kind of different things recognizing that certain seats are better than others. And Jesus then tells this parable in that context, watching these guys dance around in this situation. Whenever you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. And the one who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then in disgrace you will proceed to occupy the last place. That that word proceed has the, has the picture of like step-by-step, walk of shame like everybody watching you as you move down to the last um, seat. But whenever you are invited, go and take the last place so that when the one who has invited you comes, he will say, friend, move up higher. And then you will have honor in the sight of all who are dining at the table with you. So so if you're not familiar, you may have like study notes or something there that, that kind of explain the situation. But in a, in a, a Middle Eastern kind of meal, probably the case would be this. You would be at a U-shaped table oftentimes at a, at a wedding party. And it's, and it's not a table like we have where we sit up high, like a, like a European table. You are leaning at a table. And so your legs are out behind you and you're sort of leaning forward towards the table. And it's in the shape of a U. And the key of the U, right? The, the bottom of the loop is the, is the host's seat. 
and therefore to the seats to the left and the right of him are the seats of honor. Those are the two seats of the people who are most important at the party. And then as you would imagine, as you move up the U, the seats get less important until you get to the very end. Because if you think about it, if the host is down here, all the attention is going to be focused that way. So if you're at the end, then like none of the conversation is around you, okay? And like, I'm going to be honest, I do this at parties still, right? If I sit down at a table and I assess the situation real quick and I'm like, doesn't talk, doesn't talk, doesn't talk, doesn't talk. Talks, 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 talks. And all the talkers are on this end. I'm like, man, I don't want to be on the end with separated by a bunch of no talkers within the talkers on the other end because I'm going to be completely left out of everything, right? Okay. And so we do this right now. There's a little bit more to it than that because they're jockeying for more than just a decent conversation that night. They're jockeying for status and position um, in this thing. But sitting at the end was a lousy seat. Now, here's the question, though. So is Jesus just trying to give us, um, you know, explain to us how to deftly handle social situations so that we can influence people and win friends, you know, um, and not get embarrassed by taking the walk of shame at a party? That's not what this passage is about. No, it's revealing something. That jockeying for position, um, the advice Jesus is giving is pointing us to something about our hearts. He's telling us something about the way we see ourselves, okay? So... Uh, most of y'all, some of you may be a little too young for it, but you all remember the show Cheers, right? Everybody remembers the, the, the show Cheers. And so on the show Cheers, there was this character who every time he would come into the bar, everybody would say his name. You know what? It's Norm, right? Everybody knows, remembers Norm, right? And so Norm would come into the bar and every, he always sat in the same seat. Okay. So there was this funny episode where Norm comes in and somebody is sitting in his seat. And so the, the, the dialogue kind of goes like this. Norm walks up. It's a man and a woman sitting there on the corner. And, and Norm walks up and he says, um, excuse me, I was sitting here. And the guy says, well, there was nobody here when we came in. And Norm says, no, I meant yesterday. Um, and then the guy says, well, listen, buddy, there's, there's plenty of other seats here. And Norm kind of looks around for a second. And he says, I hate to do this, but I don't know if you guys know, but I'm Norm. <laughs> and 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 the lady says, "Well, hi Norm. My name's Hillary. What do you do?" And he goes, "I sit there." Um, right? Okay. And so kind of a silly story and, and a silly illustration, right? But it was a, it's a fun picture of this idea of saying Norm has this idea of his own self-importance in this situation, right? There's something about this bar and his time spent there and and his friends and his relationships. He is entitled to the best seat. That's the way he thinks of himself. To the extent that anybody else who comes in, they should get out and, and show him deference. Okay? Now, again, Jesus isn't giving us a gimmick on how to deal with social situations. He's pointing to the fact that this reveals something about our hearts. What does it say about a person, a person's understanding of their own self-importance, that when they walk into a party or an office or a social event, that they think to themselves, whatever the best is, it should be mine. If it's the best seat, it should be mine. The best portion, it should be mine. The most attention, it should be mine. The honor, it should be mine. Everyone should defer to me in this situation. I'm the queen bee, okay? I'm the alpha dog in whatever this situation is. And so again, the question is, is this. We ask ourselves, what do you deserve? 
what seat do you deserve in any situation? Because the kind of heart that Jesus is looking for is one that knows it doesn't deserve the best seat in the situation. In fact, sometimes we see they recognize they don't deserve a seat at all at the table. That's actually sort of what's hidden behind the next parable. Because Jesus first warns them, he says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So that self-importance is, is, is wicked and frankly unrealistic, right? It is a wrong attitude about ourselves. But it manifests itself in certain actions, just like we see in the next parable. And so whereas the first one was a pride of position and a self-importance, this is a pride of maybe association and a, and a self-interest. So verse 12. Now he also went on to say that one, uh, he also went on to say to the one who had invited him. So now he's talking to the host. He says, whenever you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor wealthy neighbors. Otherwise they may also invite you to a meal in return and that will be your repayment. Okay. So again, here's the deal. This whole concept of a guest of honor was part of this system to, to elevate your own position in, in the community. All right. And so some scholars actually suggest that the whole thing was just a process of, of reciprocity. The whole thing, both the invitation to the party and the seat of honor was all part of this social system where essentially what was happening is, is you were trying to climb this ladder in, in your community. And, and the person you decided on to not only invite, but to be central at your party was somebody who you knew etiquette wise would have to do the same to you. They would have to in turn invite you to a party and make you the guest of honor at their party. And so that it was this whole system of basically like, I'll scratch my back, I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. But Jesus says, none of this is particularly noble or, or righteous or anything, right? All we are doing is, is we're just, um, hooking up our buddies, essentially, in this in this whole thing. You are seeking your own, or you believe in your own self-importance, and it is causing you to seek out your own self-interest in all these different areas. Now, the reality is, is your heart, again, is being revealed. The worldliness of it. The fact that you are primarily concerned with earthly reward for your actions. Here's what's interesting, and here's what I think is maybe a nuance behind the parable. So again, a lot of, there are, there are commentators who will make the comment that in, in this situation, in this world, a poor person wouldn't even accept an invitation to a rich person's party. Even if they were to get it, which they likely wouldn't. But if they were to get an invitation to a rich person's party, they would have to turn it down. And the reason is, is because of this process of reciprocation. Because the poor person would know there's nothing I could ever do to pay back this person for this honor. I can't bring them to my house. I'm a poor person. I don't have a house. I don't have the kind of things that this elevated person is worthy of. And so what would happen is you wouldn't even invite a poor person because they wouldn't accept the invitation anyway because they understood something about themselves in a way, right? They understood what they deserved. The poor person, the humble person, in a way knew that they didn't deserve a seat at the table. Now, here's the thing, though, is Jesus, he, he, and notice how in the first story he's talking about the guests, and the second story he's talking about the host. But he says in verse 13, he says, but whenever you give a banquet, invite people who are poor. 
who have disabilities, who are limping, people who are blind. Jesus is basically saying this. What if a person were to have a party and he invited only those who could never pay him back? What if they that person acted out of a desire to be a blessing to other people rather than to somehow secure a blessing um, on the other side of this thing? To show honor and hospitality to those who are marginalized, people who are ignored by the rest of the community. What if instead of living in a, a exalted, self-aggrandizing kind of way, what if you lived to lift other people up? Again, Jesus is showing us a certain kind of heart in this, this passage, right? And we see it from both sides. We see it from the heart of the guest, and we see it from the heart of the host. Not only does this person have a humble heart that recognizes they deserve nothing, but the humble heart that is out to serve and to bless others, not just to be served and to be blessed. That's the exact kind of person that God is looking for. And in fact, God says that's the kind of person who in the end will be blessed. And not with an earthly blessing of, of position or prestige, but in eternity. Verse 14, and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. There will be a reward, not a fleeting earthly acknowledgement, but one from God for eternity at the resurrection. Now, again, so we might read this and say, so Ash, it's, we're coming up on Thanksgiving. Does that mean I'm not allowed to invite my family to Thanksgiving or my friends? Is that what this is telling me? Am I just supposed to go out and find people on the street and invite them into Thanksgiving? I'm not saying you couldn't do that, but I'm also saying that's not what the point is, right? The point is not to say you can never have a lunch or dinner with any of your friends ever again. That's not, that's not the point. The point is to say the illustrations about our hearts. Who is placed at the center of these things? Is it ourselves or are we placing God and others at the center? So Jesus tells these two parables, and then there is this great, and again, Trent, good job at, at kind of the, 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 the way you said it. There's this bizarre non sequitur comment that is made, okay? It's one of the most weird, like you might just read past it and go, yeah, I, I didn't notice anything, but it's a weird comment. So Jesus has just told these two parables, and then it says this guy reclining at the table who heard Jesus say these two things then says, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And you're like, what? What is, what is, I think you've missed something here, buddy. Um, so does anybody in here know who Paul Washer is? Okay. There's a preacher named Paul Washer. Um, and, and he's kind of gotten this reputation of being this sort of very like harsh, straightforward kind of preacher. And, and the reason he has that reputation is because about 10 or 15 years ago, he was speaking at a youth conference. And he was speaking about the fact that, like, the worship was very worldly and the way the kids were acting was super worldly. And, like, they were, like, in a worship context, they were, like, lifting girls up and, like, carrying them through the place. And he said, man, this whole thing is weird and messed up and you're acting in a worldly way. This is not the way the church should act. It's acting like the world and this thing is defunct, right? And everybody in the audience starts clapping. And he, and he just straight-faced, stone-cold looks out and goes, I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking to you. And everybody just is like, 
just shut down, right? And they put those black sunglasses on or whatever, you know. Um, I think that's what's happening in this passage is Jesus tells these two passages about humility. And this guy goes, we will all eat bread in the kingdom of God. And he's like, I don't know why you're so happy. I'm talking to you, right? Um, I, he, he completely seems to miss the point of this whole thing. And so then Jesus says, okay, man, so we're all going to eat bread in the kingdom of heaven together. You might want to rethink about who's actually going to be there. You might want to reconsider about the certainty of the people who are going to end up eating that bread in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 16, but he said to him, a man was giving a dinner and he invited many. And at that dinner hour, he set, he sent his slave to tell those who had been invited, come because everything is ready now. And yet they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I purchased a field and I need to go. I need to have Trent come back up. I purchased a field and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. And another one said, I bought five yoke of oxen. And I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. And another one said, I took a, a woman as my wife. And for that reason, I cannot come. So here's the deal. Everybody he invited makes these excuses. All of those excuses are in some way a function of self-interest, of self-importance, just like the two parables that he's already said. The funny thing about each of them is like they, all of them are dumb excuses, right? So he, he buys this land. Um, I don't know if you know much about land, but like in other, other than like in Hawaii, like the land is the same every day. It just sits there and it does nothing. And so you can go see it tomorrow and it'll look exactly the same as it did today. And yet this man has to go and do that. The very fact that he's, a, he's buying land says something. It shows us that he is not one of these poor, humble people that we're talking about, that he is this person who is, who is, is doing all these things for his own, his own uh, earthly gain. Uh, the second person in an era where a, a normal person might own a oxen, right? A, a wealthy person might own two. This person is going to buy five yoke of oxen, which a yoke is two oxen. So he's going to buy 10 oxen, which again points to the fact that, that he is wealthy beyond um, consideration. And, and again, man, those oxen are probably going to be the, he, he can try those oxen out the next day. Um, there's nothing time consideration impending about about trying them out today. And yet Jesus says this is an excuse. And then the last one is sort of like it's his he's he's married somebody and you're like, man, I get it. Like my wife says we can't go to a party. I get it that we don't go. Um but that's probably like it's not it's not he's it's not a situation it's not his wedding night. Okay, right? It's not like he's like, no, I'm getting married tonight. We can't come to your party. He's just newly married. You know, it actually sounds like a good night out. Right? Like you could just go and have dinner at this fancy house and then, and then go home. It, it seems like a good date night for a young married couple. And yet they says, no, I can't, we can't come. And is there anything wrong with being married? Of course not. But it points to the fact that what we can be self-interested. We can make things that are even good things the center of our lives that don't deserve that level of, of focus. We can make an idol out of marriage. We can make an idol out of lots of good things. And again, none of these things are bad in themselves, but they are all exactly what Jesus says they are. They are all excuses. They are manifestations of self-importance and self-interest. So then the, the master is, is angry because of this. And he says, go out at once into the streets and, and the lanes of the city and bring in those who are poor and those who, are dis, who have disabilities 
those who are blind, those who are limping. And later the slave said, Master, what you have commanded has been done, and there is still room. And the master said to the slave, then go out into the roads and the hedges, the highways and the byways, and press upon them to come in so that my house will be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who are were invited shall taste my dinner. So uh, he invites all these people, people who the Pharisees would have seen as unworthy, right? People who would have, they would have looked at and said, these people are are poor and worthless. They have nothing to benefit us. They have nothing to, to contribute. But Jesus says, those are the people who you need to go and invite. The tax collectors and the prostitutes and the lepers and the lame. Those are the people who will come into this party. Not the people that the Pharisees would have expected. Not the important people. But then the crazy thing is, and, it, and this points again to Jesus' larger mission and his mission to us. Even then there was still room. And so he says, go out into not the streets of our community, not the neighboring, you know, lanes and alleys and stuff around this, this house, but go out into the, the, the highways, go out into the hedges, go out into the, um, the, the places that are along the roads that aren't near cities. What's the significance of that? Well, the people who would have been staying in those places were the people who didn't have anywhere else to stay right? Probably because they were foreigners. They would have come through and they don't speak the language and they don't know anybody. And so what do they do? Instead of coming into the city and trying to seek hospitality, which Jesus is pointing to the fact that maybe a lot of people weren't willing to give. Instead, they just stay out and sleep under a tree somewhere uh, out there. And so who are those people? I think it's symbolically, it's the Gentiles. It's us. It is the, um, Jesus has said, I'm going to go to the Jews. When the Jews reject me, I'm going to go to the poor, um, the people who are outcasts, and then I'm going to go um, to the Gentiles. And so we are the recipients of that last invitation. But here's the deal, though. As I say that, I also think there's a case this, and we'll kind of close on this idea, is that, is that all of us, in a way, are all three of those groups, okay? Um, because the reality is, is this, as we read a story like that, probably we associate with the second two. We associate with the poor who come in and then of the people who are in the highways and, and the hedges. And, and that's right in a lot of ways, right? Um, for anybody in this room who knows Jesus, Jesus Christ truly, um, you have recognized your own inadequacy. You've recognized your own humility. You've recognized the fact that you don't deserve a seat at the table. You've known that your sin has disqualified you from any claim on righteousness that you have in yourself. And yet in that humility, you have turned to Jesus Christ. And Jesus has welcomed you into the party. He has welcomed you to his table, not because you're awesome, but because he's awesome, right? Not because you are worthy, but because he is gracious and welcomes in everybody. And that includes the people who are ugly and dirty and, and don't seem to have it all together. And then also, maybe in the terms of that symbol of the Gentiles, the people who you would never expect, man. Some of you in here um, came from Christian families, and you grew up with Christian parents and went to church, and, and it almost seemed a foregone conclusion, right, that you would, that you would uh, follow Jesus Christ and, and continue to live in that way. Um, it's not a foregone conclusion, but it, but it seems like that sometimes. But others of us in here lived very different lives. Um, lives that no one would have ever expected us to end up with Jesus. And yet he welcomed us in. He graciously invited us into this feast. And so we are both those, those characters in the story. We can see ourselves in both of those characters. But at the same time, here's the third thing, man, 
we're the Pharisees too, okay? If anybody's the Pharisees, it's the church people, right? Um, if anybody's the Pharisees, we're going to be the ones who probably have a problem with this stuff. We're going to be the ones who have a false understanding of our own righteousness. Now, again, I'm not saying that you can't do that outside of the church. Certainly, man, in the era that we live in, there is a lot of self-righteousness to go around. Okay, and so we don't corner the market as Christians on self-righteousness. But at the same time, there is a unique thing going on here among religious people. And Jesus is speaking to them saying, I mean, you got to check your heart. You've got to check your heart on these issues um, because I'm looking for people who are humble and who are out to serve instead of being served. So what I want us to do is just as we go to the Lord in prayer, I want us to kind of have those ideas in the back of our head. Um, because the reality is it's probably weird each one of those people at different times and in different ways that as God reaches out to us in grace that we sometimes give excuses and we hold them at arm's length and we say, man, Jesus, I would really like to do what you want me to do, but I got some other stuff going on right now and I'm just not sure if I can, I can make it. Please excuse me. Just like the, the, the Pharisees or the picture of the Pharisees in the story goes. I think we're probably those people too. And so, as we pray, as we seek God's wisdom and, and voice and counsel in our lives, I don't know what he's telling you. I don't know what areas of your life each, thing, each of these things is speaking into. Um, but I know what he's calling us to. He's calling us to a life of humility, a life of service, and a life of uh, putting God at the center of our hearts. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, when we come to this passage, we are struck by, by as much as we are struck by the, the wrong response of, of those who are invited to the, the party, um, God, we are even more struck by your graciousness um, in your invitation. God, that, uh, that you reach out to a people who are, who are um, broken in any number of ways. God, you reach out to a people who... Um, have have no expectation and and um, God who no one would have guessed um, would have been invited to your party god i I think one day we are going to stand in heaven recognizing uh, that the first have become last and the last have become first that we are going to stand in in eternity and there are going to be so many different people there who um, God, we would have never expected to have been there because of your grace, because of your mercy, because of the way your spirit comes into people's lives and changes them. God, we want to be people who uh, God, are, are, are living in light of, of the gospel that you have, God, made manifest in our lives. We want to be people who are living lives of humility. We want to be people who are living lives of service. We want to, as we reflect on your great grace and the way that you have loved us, God, we want to love others in a way um, that honors that and, and acknowledges it to the world. God, that as we love others, that they would not see how good we are at loving, but God, what you have done in loving us. 
and that they would be drawn to that and drawn to your son, Jesus, and, and that they would receive him and be saved. Father, help us to live lives um, that are attractive, um, that are meek and humble um, to the world around us, not living in, in fear, um, God, not living in defeat, but living in the confidence and the, and the, the humble confidence um, that we are right with you and that others can be made right with you too uh, if they know Jesus Christ. God, we thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. Please stand and sing the closing song. Oh.
see you guys tonight. I wanted to real quick say uh, thanks for joining us to to Jason Loudermilk and his wife Courtney. So Jason and I were at seminary together. Um, I don't. We hadn't seen each other what probably fifteen years, probably. I mean, maybe at T4G or something like that at some point. But but we haven't seen each other in years and years. We lived on the same hall and spent. I was saying earlier, spent a lot of wild nights playing Connect Four in his dorm room. Um, with a couple of other guys, like we would have these tournaments and we would just sit there like, you know, we were so holy, um, right. And we would just, we would just sit there and, and, and play board games together and stuff. But, um, but he met his wife, Courtney at, at Southern, um, at the same time. And the connection is, is Katie and Courtney are sisters, small world, right. And so, um, so anyway, they were in town to visit and, and came to join us tonight. So guys, thanks for being here. It's good to see you. Um, uh, lots of good memories from that time. Um, also, one other announcement. Um, uh, we, we, uh, I, I don't know what this is. David and Madison are pregnant. Um, I don't know how to, yeah, just uh, like, uh, so. I'm David is not pregnant. Madison is pregnant. Um, so, but they wanted me to announce that, let everybody know. And so, so it's not a secret because I've known for a little bit, and then other people just sort of found out accidentally along the way. I didn't tell anybody, but um, but anyway, now it's official. So so everybody knows. Don't put it on Facebook yet or anything like that. But right, we'll, we'll let them do that. So, but anyway, um, you can be praying for them and and encouraging them along the way, um, and that's a blessing um, to to um, have that. Uh, and and if your church ain't crying, it's dying. Um, and so that's what we say. So, um, amen. Here's this blessing, this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you, turn his face towards you and give you peace. We'll see you next week.